guys, God is doing something amazing. So Nehemiah, we started a series in it last week, and I just want to continue with that. Just to warn you, I'm feeling very pumped for this one, and I'm excited for what God's going to say. And you know, sometimes you're looking at that sun, you're like, oh, I want to be in the sun, but you need to be in the sun. Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to just take this moment, put everything aside from your week and give your attention to the word of the Lord. Because when the word of the Lord comes into your life, it changes everything. And you might be here and you might have been dragged here by a family member, by a friend. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm in this place. I want to tell you the reason is, is because Jesus is after you. He absolutely loves you. He pursues us even before we pursue him. He is the God who comes to his people, not waiting for his people to come to him. He is the God who broke down every barrier on the, in the universe in order to reach your soul and come deep down and say, I want to know you in a personal relationship and I'm willing to give absolutely everything for the sake of my people. I'm willing to give absolutely everything, not just for the sake of my people, but for the sake of those who are far from me. That's a radical thing. I mean, I'll give my life for my daughters any day. There's no question about that. But for some of you, I'm not too sure. Let's just be real. The whole vision of the church has been real. We've got to be honest. If it was Brad, I'd be like, mm, I know he's going to heaven, so it's okay. <laughs> but for my wife, of course, of course. But... Not for everyone, but God, the King of the kings and the, of the universe decides he's going to give his son, not just for people that are close to him, but for people that are far from him. That's a beautiful thing. So Nehemiah chapter two, if you can turn there, please. Like I said uh, last week that remember what, if you aren't from a church background, you're not going to really understand some of the history here. But just to summarize quickly, as the people of Israel were known as the people of God, and they'd been far from God, they'd been sent into what was called exile, which was because they hadn't obeyed God, hadn't walked in His ways, they'd been sent off to a far distant land called Babylon in order to live there in exile. And then what happens is after 70 years of living in a land that was not their own and being stripped from the promises that God had given them, God get, makes a way for them to come back to the promised land that they were to inherit, which was the city of Jerusalem. And what happens is they get favor from a pagan god, a, a king called Artaxerxes, sends them back and he says, you can go back to your homeland and I will send you with provisions to go there. Do you want to go? And you know how many went? 50,000 out of Two to three million people, most commentators would say. So roughly 2% of the people decided we want to leave the comforts of Babylon in order to go and pursue the purposes of God in a broken city. Amen. And I wonder how many of us have got comfortable in a system of materialism in the West that when suddenly God calls us and He says, this isn't working, something is broken in this nation, something is broken in the system that we live in. And let me ask you, is materialism delivering what it promised? Is liberalism delivering what it promised? No. Suddenly the... Is, can I get a little card? Is the sexual revolution of the 70s delivering what it promised? No. 
We as a generation are inheriting the result of actions from previous generations that have been compounded where people thought, yeah, let's be free. Let's dismantle marriage. Let's dismantle the nuclear family. And what do you have a generation later? A broken nation where the benefit system cannot cope with the foster list, that cannot cope with the adoption list. Why? Because when you break down the wall, you end up with a broken city. And then suddenly the church of Jesus Christ is silent on these issues rather than rising up and saying, we need to speak into the culture. We need to rise up and build a city within a city that makes a difference, a city that is strong and mighty and resilient, a city that reaches those that are far from God, a city that reaches out without selling out. That is what the church of Jesus Christ was designed to be. And you see this here where Nehemiah, the leader of that time, he comes into the situation and he looks at the people and it says this, the king was the queen sitting beside him, asked him, how long will your journey take to go back and rebuild the wall? And when will you get back? And it says this in Nehemiah 2 verse 6, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Can you say time please? How many of you are good at procrastinating? How many of you are just a, just a naturally good procrastinator? I mean, I'm the worst at procrastinating, I think. It's just, it's a gift that God's given me. But there's something about when you set a time to do something. How many of you have said to people, even in this church, yeah, it would be cool to meet up, bro. <laughs> and then what happens? A year later, it would be cool to meet up, bro. <laughs> Why is that? Because we are good at procrastinating rather than setting a time to do something. And what these people have done is they procrastinated for about 150 years of rebuilding this wall. Now they had tried before under Ezra's leadership and in the summary in Ezra, but they got stopped and opposed and they gave up. And I wonder how many of us, there's favor on our lives and God's just waiting for us to set a time to step into the purposes of God. You know how many young people are wasting their lives and pursuing careers without an end goal, pursuing the, the British dream of getting your mortgage, which is near, a near impossibility these days because interest rates are so high. But when you get your mortgage and you're gonna live in jobs that you hate in order to pay with mortgages on houses you don't even wanna live in anymore. Question, maybe we were designed for something bigger and for such a time as this. Maybe deep down within your soul, if you are far from God today, you are sitting there and asking the question, Dylan, I know that I was designed for something bigger than this because I know I'm not satisfied in this right now. That suddenly numbers on a screen, money in an account doesn't mean as much as it used to when eternity is set in the hearts of mankind. And I know that there's a desire in my heart to see us living for eternity, amen? Come on. And he said this to the king. He says, if it pleases the king, in verse seven, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And so he asked for provisions. He asked for the king's timber and people start getting riled up because they say someone has come to promote the welfare of the Israelite people in verse 10. So suddenly people start getting upset. Why? Because the, the Israelites aren't just a quiet people who just sit back in passivity. They're starting to step up up and take their inheritance and people start getting upset by that because it says this in verse 10, when Sanballat, the Horonite, 
Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And then he goes through the night and he inspects all the walls. He looks for the brokenness in the city walls that have been broken down. And he inspects it and he looks at it. And it says this, it says, he said nothing in verse 16 to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who'd be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble. Can you say trouble, please? We are in. Listen to that line, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Now remember, this man had been living in a Persian palace over a thousand miles away. And yet he comes to the people of God from a far off land. And he's no longer looking at the trouble from afar. He says, look, you see the trouble we are in, not you. He as a leader comes and lays down his life for this generation. He doesn't just see it as their problem, he sees it as our problem. And I wonder how many of us in Milton Keynes here, that we look at the city's problems, do we see the trouble our city's in, or do we just look at it afar and say, no, no, that's for someone else, you are in that trouble, we're not coming here to work with you, we're just coming here to accuse you and judge you. It's gone quiet in this church. I wonder if we can get a heart of compassion and brokenness for our city, where we love the people, but also we come close to the brokenness that our people are in. It says this, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. And then he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then it says this, they replied, let us start rebuilding so they began this good work. In verse 19, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. I'll go into chapter four after this, if you can turn there. But what I wanna say is, look here, they started rebuilding the wall and what happens? All the opposition starts coming. You know how many people I know when they give their lives to Jesus, suddenly all the opposition starts coming as soon as they take a step in faith, what happens is the enemy steps forward as well. And some of you have been told a lie that actually Christianity is easy and when you give your life to Christ, everything will be okay. The truth of the matter is it won't. That is a lie from the pit of hell that has deceived so many people because what happens is people give their lives to Christ, then they encounter hardship and they say, where's God? Because they were told a thing that give your life to Christ, everything will be easy. Get, get, it's amazing, Christ with you, Christ in you, Christ is there for you, but don't mistake it that there will be suffering in life. But the difference is you have Christ with you through every step of the way. This is what we need to know is there's a, sometimes the gospel is talked as if it's just an easy thing. Building local church is not easy. When he said, let us start rebuilding, you could feel the opposition coming against him. Suddenly, why should we start rebuilding when for 150 years, this wall has been in ruins? Why should we be the generation that step up and say, we're gonna rebuild the wall? How many people were like, this is just the way Britain is. This is just the way it is. Oh man, shall I get, I feel like I'm getting tangled. Shall I get a little bit passionate? Okay, Britain 
is a beautiful nation. I came here to this nation because I love this nation. I've fallen in love with it. And our best days are ahead of us. But we need to rise up and invest in the nation and say, actually, this is not just going to be a generation where there are no fathers in the homes. This will not be a generation where kids are growing up not knowing both parents in the home. This will not be a generation where everyone will just be confused about who they are. This will be a generation that knows who they are in Jesus Christ. When the church of Jesus Christ rise up and start loving and serving their generation and saying, our children will inherit a better nation than when we found it. You know, and I say this all the time, me and my mom, we're close, we have a beautiful relationship. Well, I grew up in a single parent's home and I saw the strain that put on my mother because there wasn't a father in the house. And that puts a passion in me that I'm not gonna allow the devil to rob me of that, but actually say, I'm gonna use that in order to reach men to say, you need to rise up and take your place in your home and serve your family and lay down your life for your children. Men, we were called to so much more and I'm getting ahead of myself because I love the men in this church and I love the men in the city. But when I see what men are giving their lives for today, I get saddened. You know why? Because you go to the gym and the most uh, accomplished bodybuilt man, the stereotype of our generation is a man who's got muscles. Hey, He's got all the girlfriends. You know what a true man is? A man who can have muscles, also doesn't need to have them, praise God. <laughs> I, I was trying to say for Brad's sake there, guys. <laughs> Jesus still loves you, bro. <laughs> I know you've tried, it's okay. <laughs> but you know what a true man is? is someone who loves one woman, lays down his life for one woman and is there for his children every evening to read the stories to them and put them in bed and love and serve them. That's more of a man to me. Come on. If I've offended you by that and if there's any feminists in the room that are very upset by that and you hardcore feminists, second generation feminists, I wanna challenge you to this is, um, <laughs> okay, let's just do it. Let me offend everyone. Um, is if that is you, I want to challenge you and just say this, is that, you know, with the second generation feminism, it was this thing of let's hate what the men do. So it's not just we want equal rights for women and men in the workplace, 100%, I'm with you on that. But it's the next step where it's like men are evil and they're the problem in this world and they can't be men anymore. So we cut off masculinity from them because we're scared of them being men. And what I've said to you before in this church, we are different. Men and women are different. It is just a thing. Me and Anna are different in the way that we parent our children. I as a father say, that's okay, my girl, toughen up, you can get it going. And as nurturing, I'm more in naming and calling it to something. It's different. It's not that we're different in equality. It's just we're different in roles. And you know what's beautiful about that is it builds a healthy picture in that child's life. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But what I'm longing for is that men can be men again and women can be women again. There can be a freedom to celebrate our differences rather than to try change each other to look like each other. Come on. Because the thing I always say to you is, men, we were called to fight. And you're going to see this in Nehemiah 4, is that when opposition came, what happened? The men took the front ground in order to serve and lay down their lives for so the women and children. But then what happens, you'll see here, is families were put on the front lines as well. 
And what we see, and I challenge you, if you are really challenged by this, is look at the Ukraine war right now. Where are the feminists that believe that on the front line saying, no, 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 all the women and children, you can't cross the line. You need to be the same as men. Go and fight on the front line with the Russians. You don't see that. What you see is the men taking the front line and women and children being released from the nation to find safety. Have I offended everyone now? Someone's got to speak some sense into this world because you know why we come up with crazy ideologies in peacetime, but when war breaks out, suddenly we strip back to the core and the essence of our humanity and what we were called to be. Amen? Great. Nehemiah 4, it says this, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, Dylan, what are you doing? I'm saying, guys, it's time that we rebuild families in the city. Because families are the foundation of society. And when you break down families, you break down the city. That's what happens. He became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? How beautiful are those verses? It says this, Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, what they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Look here, there's opposition that comes, but remember what Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 5 verse 11 to 12. Notice there are three parts today. He says, recall what the prophets went through. Look back in history and see how many people in Christianity suffered and gave their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he says, rejoice in the suffering. So recall the past, rejoice in the present, and then what does he say remember there's a future reward in your inheritance so there's a three-step process when you face opposition you see Nehemiah going through here is yes I'm going to recall that my God is with me my promises of God are true even when I'm going through tough situations but then I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings as Paul says in Romans 5 that I'm not going to allow the suffering to determine my life I'm going to allow Jesus to determine my life and then I'm going to remember that there's a future hope and glory with Jesus Christ that even if you take my life I will be with Christ for to me to live is Christ and to die is but gain. Come on. And notice there, he says, can they bring those stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? He's talking, imagine this massive heap of rubble. Have you ever seen a stone that's burnt? Who knows that's a hot fire? I've not seen stones burning. But the heat of that is going to be something. But he looks, and these are the people that are opposing the people of God. And they're looking at the task ahead of them and saying, that is impossible. And I look at the generation coming through. And you know, some of you older guys need to repent because you look at the generation and you say, can those stones live? Can a generation live with all the craziness going on in the world right now? Can our children prosper in their future or are they just going to get burnt? I want to prophesy and say our children will prosper and they will have a greater future ahead of them because of the sacrifices of people in this church. I remember when I had my second daughter, they said, why did you do that? 
was like, well, we only make babies. God told us to be fruitful and multiply. It's biblical. You got to obey the commands. And then, um, then they're like, oh no, but the world's such a tough place, such a horrible place. You see, that, that's, that's the thinking of some people these days. I want to challenge you and say, actually, the world is a tough place, but our God is bigger than this world. Our God came to save this world, and he sent us into this world so that we can serve and change this world. It's not just to heaven with me, to hell with the world. It's actually, I want to give my life to Christ, follow Jesus, but then also bring heaven to earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because we can rebuild a wall. And you know what the answer to this question is? Yes, we can bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, even though they are burnt. This generation will rise up. And you might say, Dylan, I'm in my 70s. Am I part of this generation? Yes, you are. We are a generation together. But if you haven't noticed, if you look at all the church decline statistics today, we are at, I looked at it, 2001. Now, again, this is just on a census, so people just ticking a box. So very unlikely, I mean, local church numbers would be more accurate. But 2001, 71% in Britain said they were associated with Christianity. In 2011, 10 years later, only 59% said they were associated with Christianity. In 2021, 10 years later, it's down to 46%. And that is just people ticking a box. You know what that tells me? We might be in decline, but the church needs to rise up and reach a generation or else we're going to lose generation amen come on but look at Nehemiah's response he says this he says hear us oh our God in verse 4 for we are despised turn their insults back on their head so what does he turn to before he turns to trying to deal with the opposition he turns to God in prayer before he deals with people and planning he rather turns to his God in order to say I need to rely on God and not on people Nehemiah was a great leader and he sets a great example. But then in verse six, it says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart, all their heart they gave to building this wall. So they face opposition. And what do they do? They do two things. They pray and then they persevere and build. And I look at our lives and sometimes people just want to pray all the time. And some people just want to build all the time. You decide which one you are. Some of you are very practical and you just want to do stuff for God, but you don't actually end up getting to a place of relationship with God. And others of you, you want to be so spiritual that you just want to be with God in a room, but you never want to do anything for Him. And I want to challenge you. Nehemiah brings both together. He says, look, we're going to pray to our God, but then also we're going to persevere and build the wall that needs to be built. Because that's where the hard work is. And they, they do a an, an remarkable task, but then look what happens. It says this, verse 7, I'm just going to jump here, that the gaps, when, when the enemies heard that Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But then in verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted. Can you say prayed, please? Can you say posted? So they prayed and they posted a God day and night to meet this threat. And then look what happens. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near there came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Who knows? That's some discouraging stuff. 
Who would want to be in that situation where everyone's getting against you? The people close to you say, look, there's no more strength. This is an impossible task. Dill, why did you sell us to do this? This is just crazy. How do you think we can actually stand in a generation? How do you think we can reach a generation? How do you think we can plant churches into nations? This is impossible. You might be sitting there like that. But then what you also do is you say, look at the enemies. They're going to come and kill us. It's getting worse. And then the Jews who lived there, people who were friends with them, came and told them 10 times over, we, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So the news is bad. I'll ask you a question. Anyone watch BBC News recently? Repent. <laughs> Anyone watch Al Jazeera and felt better about your life? No. Why? Because the news that sells is bad news. And the question I ask many people is, oh, if you're going to build your life in the image of Christ, what are you letting in? Because remember, the function of a wall and a gate was to keep things out and keep things in, to protect the city. And I wonder that the gates that have been burned in our lives, we just let anything in and we wonder why our mental health is struggling so much. If you sit and watch BBC all day and there's a, <laughs> I remember once I, I, I used to love watching the news and then I just couldn't do it anymore. You know why? Because nuclear war was about to break out every day. And I thought, my goodness, I'm in Milton Keynes. I'm like half an hour away from London. If this happens, we're going to get hit. You know what that does? Why should I worry about something I can't control? I'm going to pray to my God and I'm going to post a God day and night in order to meet this threat. What does that mean? Is we're going to pray and we're going to build local church because that, I believe, is the hope of the world to see a local church that is healthy, that is on mission together, saying we're going to reach a city, laying down our lives together for a city. That's how we reach a city, not by watching BBC News and worrying all the time. Amen? <laughs> yep. Definitely offended the last few there. My question to you is, look at the fruit in your life, and if you want change, maybe you need to change something that's going into your life. Yeah. So it says this in verse 8, I'm nearly done here. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember, can you say Remember. The Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your family, your brothers, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. Some translations will say your brothers, some will say your families. But he says, fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. Can you say that with me? Can you say, fight for your families? Can you say families? Your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. Fight for your, can we say again, families? Your sons and daughters, your wives or husbands, depending on which one you are, and your homes. Okay? <laughs> and it says, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Now, I, I'm this, when I read this this week, it really gripped my heart because I felt a commissioning from God for us as a church and saying, it's time to fight for our families, our sons and daughters, our wives or husbands, and our homes. It is time for us to fight for them because if we don't fight for them now, we will lose them in the long run. 
You see, the problem I find, I've literally gone off notes. I don't know what's going on. Um, some of you are like, I know. <laughs> I believe the word of God's enough anyway, so my notes can wait. Is the, when we fight for something, it's very important because it's not just like Christianity, we're fighting against stuff. You know how many people almost that I meet that don't believe in Jesus, and you might be one of them today, because notice when I speak in church, I'm speaking to you as much as to the congregation, where you might think, Dill, uh, I'm just here, I'm exploring faith, and I tell people all the time, that's awesome. That's the whole point of True Life Church, was to be a safe place where you don't have it all together. Remember we said no perfect people allowed? Remember me saying that? And then suddenly imperfect people arrived, i.e. me. You know how imperfect I am. If you've got me on any kind of pedestal, please, I can break it for you anytime you want. Uh, <laughs> I'm such a, honestly, I look at it, and you know what I love about True Life Church? You know what I love about our life group is I'm just Dylan. I'm just part of the life group. I love being part of this church. I love my family being part of this church. I love doing life with you. We had a barbecue on uh, Friday with some guys. It was just so nice. It was just friendship. It was family. It was authentic. It was, hey, we have deep conversations. We also have a laugh. We'll take the mick out of each other. It's all good. Why? Because what we're doing is building something incredible, a family, but no perfect people allowed. But you know how many Christians are always saying what they're against rather than what they're for? And how many non-Christians also hear that and they say, oh gosh, before I slip here, let's go bit of entertainment, is how many non-Christians know Christianity by what we're against rather than by what we're for? For example, how many people you meet, they're like, oh, Christians are just homophobic. Or Christians are just against abortion. Or Christians are just, give me one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Left me hanging, thanks, bro. Christians are against What's that? Too religious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, too religious. Christians are just, why, why is that that we've got their name? Because people see, and this is what I want to I say, is it's not just that we're against those things. It's that we for something, i.e. I'm pro-marriage between a male and female. That's what the for is, not just what the against is. I'm for life. I'm not for death. Do you see the difference? That Christianity should be defined by what we're fighting for, not just what we're fighting against. So what we're fighting for is for our children, our families to prosper in this nation. What does that mean? Sometimes you might have to be an, have an awkward conversation at the dinner table because right now there's a war of ideologies in this nation that we are competing, these competing ideologies that people in Christianity are too scared to say anything in case we called bigots. But when I sit down with my non-Christian friends and I explain what we for, it's incredible how the conversation shifts and they're like, oh, actually, I agree with you on that. Come on. I was chatting with my good Hindu friend this week and I was at his house yesterday and just hanging out and just seeing family. And you know where we launch our conversations about faith from? Family. Why? Because he wants the best for his family, just like every person I know in this generation. But also, I know that there's deep brokenness because our family units have been on attack. And notice something, he says this, it's time to get up and fight for your families. You know how many guys I see giving up on their families quicker than they give up on their businesses? They're willing to fight for money more than they are for their family. 
it's time that we get a servant-hearted mindset like Nehemiah and pray and we post ourselves before God. It's no point praying about your marriage and not posting a date in your diary. It's no point praying about your finances and not posting someone there to actually help you sort them out. There's a practical and there's a spiritual part. But sometimes in Christianity, we want just the spiritual so we can blame God when the natural doesn't work out. So we're like, oh, God didn't fix my marriage because you're out with the lads getting drunk every night, every weekend. Is that too harsh? You, you know, I, t- I took Anna on a date yesterday, and it was good. Where's Anna? Is she, is she not here, hey? Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> but I took Anna on a date, and you know those days where it's hot, and you just, you know, you just feel like chilling. Anyone know what I'm saying? It's like you've just been in the sun all day and all of that. But I knew, I was preaching on this, so I needed a story, that I, <laughs> let's be real radical relational. Um, No, but I knew that this is an investment into my marriage. And even if we don't feel like it all the time, we're going to intentionally take time out away from the kids in order to invest in our relationship one-to-one. It's important. You might be sitting there saying, Dylan, did you know if you're single here today and you're like, oh, why is he just talking to the family? Do you know you're part of this family firstly, but also you're fighting for your future family by the decisions you make today? Did you know that decisions you make today in your sexuality and choosing to whether have sex with that person or not have sex with that person can actually affect your future family and for generations to come? Did you know those decisions can literally change your destiny? It's true because you know when, should I just go into this? Is that okay? Um, I'm just thinking of all the guests here today. Welcome uh, to True Life Church. Next week, Brad will be preaching and you will feel loved. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> Come on, the young people here, sex before marriage. Let's talk about it, people. Um, is sex before marriage. I remember thinking before I was a Christian, I was like, oh my goodness, Christianity is so restrictive. Why would I become a Christian if it means I can't have sex? I went to an all boys school where everything they talk about is about sex. But then suddenly a youth leader came into my life who challenged us, but he didn't just say that, oh no, we're against sex before marriage. We're against having sex before marriage. He said, what we are for is your families one day and your children's children will be blessed by these decisions. And he set an example for us, which I inherited because of that. And you know, it changed my life. And I look at our marriage today and I say, thank you, Jesus, for Glenn Hogg, that was his name, Hogg, and for a man who came and just gave us a little slap and said, you as a man need to rise up and make decisions today for your future families that will impact generations. You know how much that has impacted our marriage to this day because a 16 year old was sitting there and an older man came into our lives and he just gave us the truth in love and told us what we were fighting for. And I know that there are people here that would share stories. We have people here who were sleeping together and then decided, got convicted, that actually they came to Jesus. We're not gonna sleep together in order to honor our, our families in the future. And they laid down their lives. They stopped sleeping together, got married and have beautiful marriages because there's redemption, whatever your story is. This isn't condemnation, it's a redemptive story of saying, you might be like, Dylan, we're already married, we made all those mistakes and all of that. You know what I challenge you with is, number one, come to the Lord in actual genuine, if you've never repented of that, can I encourage you to? But then also secondly, to say, no, no, how do we build a family that actually is in God's image? How do we not just live in 
the mundane of life, but actually build a healthy Christian marriage. Because you know what? Um, we want to build a great marriage, not just a good one. Amen. Have I clarified all those points? Anything I missed? Okay, cool. You know what he says secondly, and I'm ending on this, uh, the, well, these points, is sons and daughters. Fight for your sons and daughters. How many of you know that we need to fight for our sons and daughters? You might be sitting there like, I don't have children. Yes, you do. If you are part of True Life Church, you have children. You know what? Because my daughter grows up in this family and she is blessed by this family. She has so many uncles and aunts, it's ridiculous. I wish I grew up in that kind of environment. But my daughter gets to grow up in something amazing. And all of us have a responsibility to the youth of this church and this city to serve and just champion them. Ollie and Molly with youth, getting that going. You know, just, we need to be championing these guys. Because while they're fighting for our sons and daughters, that's what we're fighting for. You look at universities today. Well, let me ask you a question. How many people are coming out of university saying Jesus is awesome and great? Could it be that our universities are so infected with such ideologies that it's, it's, not, it's, it's a war for people's minds and hearts? I remember going to university to, I was in a Bible lecturer's thing, and what they were telling me is the Bible is not reliable. A professor in theology. And I said, I'm sorry, I disagree with you on that. My marks never really did well in that course. Because I was fighting for the truth again. Then he says, fight for your wives, fight for your husbands, fight for your marriages, protect them again, guys. We need to get back to this thing of actually, I'm gonna bring the the Bible to my dinner table again. I'm gonna bring the the word of God into my family that I can put it on there and say, actually, you know, Maya Grace, you know one of the greatest joys in my life? My oldest daughter, two and a half years old, you know that every night we have her Bible story, she, we have to read it, and at lunchtime. You know what she tells us every single time for the last three months, people? What, I'll say, what story do you want to read? Adam and Eve. So I've read Adam and Eve. I kid you not, for three months, every time I'm there, me or Anna are reading Adam and Eve to the point where if I pause, she can quote the rest of the sentences. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> It's crazy because she, she can do that one. And then the first three months of the year was Moses. So she knows the two stories and she could quote them going like that. That's my daughter. But you know why? Because we are sowing the word of God into our child. It's beautiful. And then he says this, fight for your homes. Fight for them. You know, there's a, a, a war on homes today. And can I encourage you as Christians? And can, uh, uh, let me just do it is we can I encourage you, if you have spare rooms, consider who you may be able to bless with that room. Consider that if there's a generation coming through that didn't know Jesus Christ, like myself, that a pastor opened his house to me to live in for two years that taught me what Christian family looks like behind the veil of a Sunday meeting, it revolutionized my life and blessed my marriage and my home today. But we have uh, someone living with us now and it's a blessing to have them in the home. It's a rich blessing. It's not, oh, but Dylan, aren't they, you know, don't you just want this time, that? You know what? The blessings far outweigh the burdens. Not that Melissa's a burden anyway. Yeah, that's, 
She's not here, so let's be honest. Shall I be real? No, <laughs> it's tough work. You know? <laughs> but allow your homes to be a missional place. Did you know your dining room table is one of the greatest missionary places in this world right now? In a generation that's lonely and broken and wants family and community, you know what your dinner table can be? A place of refuge. But you know how often we close off our homes just to be a place where, you know how Jesus said, you go into the streets, the alleys, and invite those that don't, aren't like you, don't look like you, aren't the same, aren't speaking the same theology or whatever, that your dining room table should be a mission field for the kingdom of God. Amen. Uh, worship team, could you guys come up, please? So, I know I've been a bit all over the place. I know it's hot. And I know that we're going to have a great lunch together. I really do encourage you, if it's your first time, you're more than welcome to stay here and ask all your questions to Brad at the back there or Carl, who's walking there, or Ali. They can deal with any controversial things you want to talk about. They're the guys. Um, I'll be in prayer for you all. <laughs> but if you guys could start playing, that would be great. Is... Uh, I'm really encouraged by what God's doing here and seeing people meet Jesus as first-generation Christians. Because I know that as a first-generation Christian in the sense of God came into my life and totally changed it and wrecked me in my room in, at home. And I, I tell you, when, when they rebuilt the wall, they started with rebuilding the sheep gate and the priests were the first ones to build. You know why that was? It's because that was a gate through which sacrifice came. So when they started the task, they started at a place of sacrifice and they had to get that right before they built anything else. And wherever your life is right now today, it doesn't start with everything I'm talking about, you know, like fighting for this, fighting for that. You know what it starts with? Jesus Christ, the great one who fought for us and gave his life for us and laid down his life for us so that we could have life in him. That's where it starts is that when Jesus Christ came, he looked forward and he saw you and he said, hey, I want you, so I'm willing to lay down my life for you for all the sins that you committed in your life. And the, one of the biggest things you might be sitting there thinking is, Dylan, I'm a good person. I'm, just, I'm a good person. Do I actually need Jesus? And the reality is the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is a beautifully liberating scripture because it puts us all on the level, level playing field that when the Lord came into our hearts, it convicts us of our sin before God that I'm in need of a savior. You know where he says, can these, can these stones live from this heap of rubble? When you look at your life, you might feel like a heap of rubble. You might look at your marriage or your broken marriage or your children that are far from God or people in brokenness. Let's be honest, guys. Family is messy. Me and my family, we are not <laughs> the perfect Christian family. Family is a broken place for many of us. I look at where... I said before, where me and my brother have ended up in totally different places. The reason being that I'm here and not him is Jesus. Is surrendering to Jesus. That the heaps of rubble in our lives. I remember as a broken kid looking up and saying, Lord, you know, father issues, brokenness in the family, brokenness in, uh, you know, life. And just there, I just, what? And then Jesus comes in and the heaps of rubble becomes a place, a holy place of royalty. 
and where your life is, I don't know. I don't know if your marriage is on the verge of breaking up because I've spoken a lot into that. I don't know if your ch- relationship with your children is at breaking point. I don't know where that brokenness is in your life. But I want to say, when you look at your life and you say, can these stones live? The truth of the matter is Jesus is the living stone. And when you come to him, he builds you together into a family of living stones. That we can become a holy house of the Lord and sacrifice our lives for. You see, the gospel isn't just you doing bad and coming to God who is good. It's actually, yes, you do bad. You come to God who is great and awesome and perfect in every single way. But he doesn't leave you groveling. He takes you up and says, I'm making you a new creation. That you are no longer broken and imperfect. I'm making you perfect by my blood sacrifice so that you are 100% righteous in me. Not by anything you do or have done or could do, only by one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ. The message of the cross is the hope of saving you. The message of the cross is foolishness when you are perishing, but when you are being saved, it is the power of God. That God himself gave up his divinity in order to take on your humanity to sacrifice his life and once for all sacrifice so that your family could be restored and you could be put into the family of God. The cross of Christ is the most liberating thing. That Christianity, the foundation stone is Jesus. Jesus is the thing on which the wall is built. We can do all the church stuff and miss Jesus. We could do all the Christian stuff. You might be coming to church, doing worship, serving teas, whatever it is. And yet you've forsaken or missed your first love. I want to encourage you, my friend, that Jesus and the cross is enough for you. And as we worship now, we'll do a song. And I'll give you an invitation. I will give you an opportunity to say, do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you've never done that before, I'm gonna open up the place and say, we, we saw a will last week come into Christ and it's the best thing in the world. But I, I'm believing God there are more people here today that you want to step forward in faith. And you're like, Dylan, I don't have all the answers. Neither do I. But you know what I do have? Jesus Christ. And that's the most beautiful thing. So can we stand and can I pray for you? Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your truth. And Lord, I pray as we worship you now, you'd speak to every heart. You'd convict our souls. You'd convict people of sin where they don't know you. You'd convict people of righteousness where they do know you. And Father God, I pray that there'd be 